Hey fam bros, on this week's special delivery, we talk about the newest episodes of Game of Thrones, Penny Dreadful, The Flash, and a shout out to Queen Latifah's Bessie. Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. What's up internets and welcome to another Fan Bros special delivery. This is Chico Leo flying high above the night skies of Brooklyn in the escape pod. And I am joined by my wingman. Kimsonian Space Ghost producer aka Verbalis Diablo. Verbalis Diablo. Is that a uh, is that a, a, a Penny Dreadful reference? Indeed. It is the Devil's nice. Tongue and my new rap name, Peep the EP, dropping soon. Right, right. All right, excellent. I can't wait to hear. Will you be rapping in multiple uh, ancient languages? Aramaic, Old Hebrew, Assyrian, and Peep the Cuneiform. The modern Cuneiform, of course. Latter-day nice. Cuneiform. Nice. All right, well... Everyone's out there uh, looking forward to that, but until then, we can uh, we can talk about some uh, some big TV this weekend. Um, so tonight was another uh, awful wedding on Game of Thrones. The episode was entitled um, "Unbowed, Unbent, Unbroken," and that was actually a reference to the Sand. Were they the Sand Daughters of the Sand or the Sand Sisters? Exactly, exactly. Yes, and actually they did end up getting bowed, bent, and broken. So, um, you know, that was dope while, while it lasted. But um, so what What did you think about uh, tonight's episode of Game of Thrones? Unbowed, unbent, unbroken. So, um, so full disclosure, I haven't been totally up to date on Game of Thrones. I did watch the first few episodes. Uh, I didn't see last week's, but I caught up in kind of little bits and pieces. I just have to say tonight was probably the worst night for women overall uh, in terms of television shows. Um, it was okay. It's one of those, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, mid-season where everybody's, um, what do you call it, uh, uh, intentions start to go completely haywire. So whatever plans were set in motion at the beginning, where everybody feels like, okay, I'm going to do this, gets totally reversed. And I think it does that every season. And I think this episode is that episode that throws everybody's main objectives completely out the window. And it's almost like you're starting from scratch. So I'm I'm glad I kind of came in on that kind of episode. Overall, whenever there's no dragons, I'm not really feeling it. Tonight was what I call a much more like Shakespearean night as opposed to a, you know, Lord of the Rings night, if you know what I mean. Right, I I, I definitely uh, hear you, Um, and and that's true. I mean, this was advancing a lot of the intrigue that's been going on for multiple seasons, and um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a bad night for all women. It wasn't a bad night for Cersei Lannister, who really made her move against the Tyrell family. Um, She had had Loras Tyrell jailed uh, earlier and uh, in in cahoots with the um, religious cult. Uh, I can't can't remember their name. I mean, they call themselves the Faithful, and uh, they definitely represent the old seven gods. But um, in cahoots with them, she managed... She's been really... The Tyrells have been backing the Lannisters financially. And in return, Loras Tyrell was supposed to marry Cersei. 
and uh, Marjorie Terrell did, in fact, marry first Joffrey and then Tommen. Um, now, we know that the Terrells had some play place or part in uh, Joffrey's assassination, but um, I, don't, I don't know if Cer- Cersei knows that. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, again, the, the connection is falling apart. Their alliance is falling apart. Right. The exposing of the grandson as being, you know, liking men and sleeping with men and all this, that was going to come to the front at some point. Like right. you said, Cersei played it pretty masterfully. Um, so many other storylines going on. Arya learning to be a faceless one. Which right. Is, is and that sh- awesome, awesome set with these huge columns with all the faces in set in them and all the candles. Uh, that that was really dope. I mean, all the Arya stuff has had the, you know, the tone of Luke and Yoda on, on Dagobah or, you know. Uh, you yeah, know. I know. No, I completely disagree with you, but I know what you're going for. I why, guess. Why do you I, say that? I, because it's so much more somber and what she's seeking. I have no idea really what it is. And right. I don't feel like it's going to better her cause as opposed to what she's she's just trying to find something. Anyway, I, I you know, I don't know. I don't want to rush to judge. But at the same time, the set was beautiful. That's what we call CGI in the production yes. world, Chico. But it was yes. really well done. No, but it looked, yeah. yeah, it looked great. It looked great. And it was, it, you know, it's revealing the secret behind the door and all this. I do have to say, um, jumping from storyline to storyline, I did like... Uh, the fact that I'm seeing a lot more uh, people of color on the show with speaking roles that aren't in some sort of language, um, i.e. the slave uh, driver, I guess still a slave driver, that uh, Tyrion and his um, cohort uh, who was accompanying him, they they end up being captured as slaves. I thought that was a pretty good scene that had humor in it and um, it had a lot of uh, momentum and you know, some of the sometimes when they cut back and forth to the storylines, I have to say the Arya Stark one just kind of slows it really down, and I don't know. That's how it works for me. Well, it's de- it's definitely operating at a different pace. Yeah. So that was uh, Mr. Echo from Lost playing the the slaver, and he uh, actually goes all the way back to Oz. If people remember, he was. Um, out of BC. Out of BC, of course. Yeah, and and he's actually my choice if uh, you know to play uh, Black Panther's father in the Black Panther movie. Let's let's um, put let's put it out there on Twitter then, man. You need to yeah. Tweet that out I mean, though. he's he's been in a bunch of other stuff besides Oz and Lost, but um, you know it's definitely nice to see him uh, show up, and I'm assuming he's gonna have you know some kind of role, uh, and so yeah, they're. Uh, they're all heading to Marine, which is actually what, you know, um, Tyrion wanted to happen. Um, and I think we're going to get some scenes in the slave pits of Marine, um, which or the fighting pits of Marine, which might or might not be, you know, peopled by by slaves, but but used to be. So one thing I didn't like, there was a whole other plot where Jamie and Bronn are going to save uh, the princess, uh, Masala, I think is her name, um, and the Daughters of the Sand or the Sand Sisters, they're going to assassinate her. And the fact that they show up at exactly the same moment was the kind of like TV show coincidence that would work on the A-Team or Magnum or Knight Rider. <laughs> but I would expect more from, 
you know, Game of Thrones uh, on something like that. That just seemed a little too, you know, unbelievable and coincidental. But then you wouldn't have had this awesome fight with these basically teenage girls with these scimitars and long spears fighting. And whips. And whips. Whips. Oh, of course, the whips. Indiana Jones in the house. That's right, that's right. No, I, 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 I was definitely down with that scene and with having that confrontation. I just feel like the writers could have come up with something else, uh, you know, uh, to, to make it not just them showing up at the same time. It just it just felt a little like eh. super convenient. Um, I understand. Right. I understand. Sure, but sure, Oberyn sure. Bartell's um, brother who's the whose son is actually the intended of Princess Marcella. Um, you know, he and his uh basically man at arms are able to um you know cut that assassination attempt short. Which leads us to yeah, so um Sansa gets married to Ramsay and Ramsay continues to be as terrible as he's been, you know, since we've met him. And he uh he rapes her on her wedding night in front of uh Theon, you know, humiliating them both and probably bringing himself, you know, tons of joy in the process. Uh, first of all, before you even say that, you should have said one, spoiler alert, then two uh, I don't know how much joy I'm telling you it was the worst night for women on television it was hard to yeah. watch and I didn't expect it to go down that way Um, and she is really you know in a bad situation the producer uh, of the show was asked a question like by a fan how could you do that and this is according to a Entertainment Weekly article Um, and he said well she's she's gonna do what she has to do to get her land back and it is game of thrones and you know it's a brutal situation i'm not sure if that happened in the book um and i know my understanding is this is completely different than sansa's story in the book right and then the the other thing is they've departed so much right this season from the book this season yeah you guys have probably mentioned that a bunch of times but uh yeah i it was rough to watch i i gotta say and I'd like to see what happens next. You know, I, I I can't speak light of the situation. I feel sorry for her. I I actually really thought that Theon was gonna snap out of his you know brokenness and and whatever as Reek, and that he was gonna turn into Theon again and actually run up on uh, Ramsay and stab him, and that somehow you know next episode was either gonna be him and Sansa trying to escape. Or them, you know, going after the father. That's, the, and that's taking still over that's still right, right, right. But that's still in play. I think actually, what you're saying, you know, I mean, if we're focusing on him as she's being raped, and we're just hearing her off screen, right? That kind of indicates that we're either gonna see him transform, or something's gonna happen, and he's gonna be the uh, protagonist for it. I mean, there was a lot of situations where you were saying it's the terrible night for women where women thought their position would definitely help them. So the, the you know, Cersei's thing basically got not just Loras put on trial, but also Marjorie um, was caught in a lie. And she thought because she was the queen that it would protect her. And I think Sansa thought because she was Sansa Stark that, yeah, I'm going to have to marry this guy. But, you know... I, yeah, maybe she. Yeah, I, 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 I think she did not expect, you know, getting, you know, what happened to be, 
to be something that was necessarily in the cards because she's Sansa Stark. So right. That's, that, that's probably the biggest understatement of the night. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's what makes it so powerful is that nobody was expecting that. So anyway, Game of Thrones is, you know, again, this one, save for that scene, which always they always save the probably the most poignant, the most effective, the most shocking scenes for the last 30 seconds of the show. You know, um, it was pretty much a chess move episode for me. Uh, as far as that goes. Yeah, this was definitely again getting everyone in place for the for the end of the you know, the big stuff to come. Um and the really big twists that are gonna come. Um, you know, we didn't spend any time this might have been the first episode we didn't we didn't spend any time on the you know, up at the wall with Jon Snow and all of them. So yeah, I mean as always on Game of Thrones there's a lot of pieces in play and uh pieces are getting moved around the the chessboard that's right and penny dreadful uh tonight uh which i am all caught up on uh the episode was the night comers and it featured a really great guest appearance by patty lapone who uh won a tony for evita back in the day (laughs) you know i was just thinking about that because i mean i guess we're older and growing up i would see commercials for evita on broadway you know, yes. Avita on Broadway. And she, what is it? Don't cry for me, Argentina. Yep. That was her. <laughs> that- and uh, any Spike Lee fans might remember her from the um, Summer of Sam. She actually played uh, Adrian Brody, you know, one of the two main characters, his mom in that. Um, I think she might have been in a couple of other Spike Lee movies. She's definitely New York based and she does a lot of um, Broadway yeah. and works with a lot of New York movie directors. That's right. That's right. Um, but anyway, that's uh, neither here nor there. She was on Penny Dreadful in a sort of bottle episode that was uh, more of the origin of Vanessa Ives and how she became a witch. And uh, Patty Lapone played the witch who, if we were going to use the Yoda Luke uh, analogy, uh, was the Yoda to uh, Vanessa Ives's Luke. I was going to say this that that applies that metaphor applies yeah. much stronger here still a really bad night for women yeah. I got to say on Penny Dreadful between Game of Thrones and Penny Dreadful um these women did not have a chance but um I did like this episode in that we get to see the unraveling of the past and how it connects to what's going on right now in game. I mean, in uh, Penny Dreadful or on the show, we have, the, uh, of course, since the beginning of the season, the return of Madame Kali, now known as Evelyn Poole. Season one, Madame Kali was the one, the conjurer during the seance night when she conjured up some spirits that actually turned Vanessa like inside out. And funny enough, she returns in this flashback as the cause of the downfall of her teacher, her her witch teacher. So I thought that that connection was pretty strong. It was announced that this character would play a bigger part in season two. We definitely see Madame Kali, a.k.a. Miss Poole, you know, doing her dirty work, I guess. Right. And uh, the other thing, though, is really interesting is I love... The, the way Penny Dreadful really deals with the lore of monsters, like monster movies and all the lore of basically Western horror, you know, characters. And they had, it's true that they never really had a witch episode. I mean, you know, women who are possessed and all this, we don't know 
really who's doing the dirty work in season one and the first couple of episodes of season two. But I really like this episode in that they they unplugged or really pulled back the curtain on their take on what witches would be in their world. And I really dug that. Yeah, no, I I loved all the all the witch stuff. I mean, we we got a couple. I mean, we got there was some stuff earlier this season with witches in you know in the streets attacking people, and we saw Madame Kali, you know, bathing in the blood of you know. But you still somebody. didn't know it was witches. That's my point. Like, right? I th- guess they, they yeah, keep I, they keep referencing yeah. the master, which kind of is a wink to the strain, which is like, which master are we talking about? They keep referencing him as the devil, and then I'm thinking the master is Dracula on the strain, and somebody, somebody, but I don't know if that's going to be a crossover episode or what's going to yeah, happen. I, but I'm, I'll be pretty surprised if there's a crossover <laughs> episode with uh, Penny Dreadful on the strain. And if they do, I hope they use the art director from Penny Dreadful. But, yes. But, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, I think the uh, the whole idea that, you know, Lucifer is pulling the strings behind the scene on almost all of the negative forces that are going on in Penny Dreadful. It's it's kind of interesting. Um, well, he she says at the end, you know, Lucifer, when Lucifer fell, he wasn't alone, right. which is true. Like Lucifer led an uprising and uh, was was cast out with all of his followers. And that's all the demons, you know, who were former angels, you know, Azazel and Baal and Belial and Asmodeus and all those people. And uh, so I, I sort of imagine that whoever was chasing them was, you know, one of Lucifer's sidekicks or, you know, one one of these other people that fell with Lucifer. But don't um, you think some of the, uh, the, I guess, the eaters or the zombies – in the first season that they tracked down, don't you think that's connected to Lucifer somehow? I, I may very maybe. I mean, there was all that stuff with like the Egyptian Book of the Dead and uh, and things like that. So yeah, maybe they're going up against yeah against Lucifer himself. Um, they just they twice during that episode had that quote. Remember when Lucifer fell, he didn't fall alone. So I don't know. Um, this also did give the origin of Madame Kali along with Vanessa Ives, right. like you said. Right. You know, the her sensei, Vanessa's the witch who trained her, Patty Lapone, had been in a coven with them when they were good witches, but then when they became evil, she didn't turn with them and they threw them out threw her out of the coven and she ended up being one of these local witches that everyone hates but they still come to for all their, you know, problems and ailments and love potions and abortions and things. Is it is it bad to think of the Wizard of Oz, good witch, bad witch, when you when you see good witch good witches and bad witches? I was kinda cracking myself up. I couldn't really take it that seriously. Um, but I did, uh, you know, I did like the set design and, and all that kind of stuff, but the good witch, bad witch stuff, I, that, right. that I thought I, I kind of chuckled to myself. I'm like, Oh, here we go. You know, where's the green makeup and the, the big top hat. But, um, yeah, no, that's a big thing in witch lore. I mean, there's the witches who are, you know, mostly just like nature, you know, people making poultices and all that. And then there's the witches who, you know, let toads suckle their nipples to, you know, contact Satan and stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> right. there's, definitely, there's definitely two different kinds of witches. I mean, there's you, good you, ones and bad ones. Do you think uh, Do you think there are any witches that are part of the fan bros? If there's any witch, witches that are fan bros out there, please tweet us and let us know what you thought of this episode. Uh, if it represented you correctly, maybe or or not, I'm kind of joking, but I'm not uh, at the same time. 
Yeah, no, I thought it was uh, one of the better, you know, witch representations on TV. I mean, there's a whole line of witches in the Vampire Diaries. There's that show Salem that I think really flubbed a potentially good opportunity, but that deals with witches and... uh, you know they're they're on TV, and I I do think Penny Dreadful gave a a, a better accounting than uh, than most of these other shows. Uh yeah no, and again the the set design and it was really really pretty for this one. I thought the the marshes and the woods and just yeah. being out in the countryside it was, it was really really well put together. Looked really good. I mean to be honest, it would have been dope if that witch you know showed up on Downton Abbey. Yeah, that's your uh, that's your lane there, Chico. There's there's a crossover that's, that's, that's waiting to happen. It's <laughs> a Chico mashup. That's true. Right. That's true. So, uh, in terms of other cross up cross uh, uh, crossovers, excuse me, there um, on Flash this week, um, Rogue Air was the name of the episode, and they've been uh, crossing over a little bit with Arrow, and Arrow showed up a little bit on Flash, and Flash showed up a little bit on Arrow. Um, but, uh, what, what, you know, Flash continues, there's one episode left in the season, but it continues to be, uh, you know, pretty awesome. I have to say, I'm not watching Arrow and I am watching the Flash. Right. Um, for some reason the Flash got me because every episode there was something pretty drastic that I didn't expect to happen. Arrow doesn't have that element as much as prominent. And the effects on The Flash have been surprisingly consistent. The Grodd episode, for example, was really well done. Oh, yeah. Um, they're, they're, I don't know how they have the budget to get away with these really good effects for television. Because I've seen some really bad effects on shows that probably have way more money than The Flash does. And um, anyway, I just really thought that was a, that was, you know, this, this series is, is kind of a knockout series. And. It's it's better than Gotham, I have to say. It's oh, yeah, way definitely. better than Gotham. Well, one thing I can say for Arrow, they got their act together in the last few episodes leading to the finale, including the finale, I thought were really good. Um, I did think the third season was a little uneven, but I still like the show. Um, but Flash has definitely been a, a, a breath of fresh air, and... Um, they're really interweaving everything really nicely, and I again for the last two episodes they seem to have kind of be on, either have fixed or on their way to fixing like Iris Allen, um, who was a problematic character. Um, I thought coming coming into the last few episodes. Oh really? Okay. Th- okay. Yeah, I mean, I just felt like her whole like being kept in the dark, and then you know making you know ultimatums to Eddie and, you know, being sort of blind to, you know, the fact that Barry's the Flash and all this other stuff was just really sort of gumming up the works. Um, and so her knowing um, has has led to, I thought, her best episode, which is not this episode, but the last one where she was sort of, you know, in the Grodd episode where she was like in Barry's ear while he was on the mission as the Flash. Yeah, I thought that was a little hokey, but I got it, and I, I understood how that needed to play out for their story together. Yeah. Um, this particular episode, first of all, Rogue Air is a reference to Con Air, because in this episode, uh, Barry turns to, or rather the Flash turns to Captain, Captain Cold, Cold, right? Captain yeah. Cold to get yep. his help to move all the... 
uh, meta humans that are being kept at Star Labs on a plane, on a jumbo plane. So there's ju- to send them to the island from Arrow, right. where he imprisons his people without habeas corpus. Right. So, so I guess the Rogue Air is a reference to Con Air, the infamous Nicolas Cage film where the mullet that Nicolas Cage has is off the charts. Uh, that's a pretty weird movie. Stu Buscemi in that movie is pretty weird. Uh, we'll save that for another uh, special delivery, though. Um, but I that is like, that yeah. is a movie that deserves its own entire special yeah. abil- special delivery. Actually, uh, we 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 should do a special delivery on uh, a bunch of different Nick Cage films. We'll right. do we'll do a Nick Cage film festival, and we will be able to break down his greatest greatest performances. Um, at the same time, I think that this episode of Flash was a little congested, in that there were so many people. So many guest appearances. I, lo- I I do like good crossovers, but when people just show up kind of at the last minute, it's it seems a little seventies ish to me. It seems a little like cartoon Saturday morning cartoon kind of kind of thing. I do like the fact that Harrison Wells is now completely exposed. Reverse yeah. Flash is completely exposed. We knew that was coming. That collision, that storyline was gonna collide at some point. Um, so now that it's open and on the surface, I'm glad. We got to see what happens with this finale. So I'm excited. Yeah, I I am, too. And, uh, you know, they're going to be introducing another show, you know, Legends of Tomorrow or something like that. And at least, you know, they again, Arrow uh, has two solid seasons and and one pretty good one under its belt. And 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 Flash has just been uh, dynamite with one or two, you know, sort of weak episodes. I realized where I saw Cisco. I I knew that he seemed familiar, and I I think he was the son um, on Hung, which was a a show that was on HBO for like uh, three seasons. Which I you know I I would recommend to a certain degree. I will say that it's set in Detroit, and it's the only TV show on HBO that's ever uh, you know addressed the financial crisis and unemployment and things like that. Um, and it actually had uh, Lenny James as a, a recurring character who we all love from Walking Dead. But anyway, Cisco was the son on that show. Oh, okay. And so Cisco fans, uh, check out Hung. Because um, I knew he looked familiar and it was like, where have I seen that dude before? Do you think, anyway. do you think Cisco has fans? I guess he does, right? Yeah. I think Cisco definitely has fans. I'm a fan. I think he's dope. Um, you know, there's not too many Latin characters on TV, and then the ones that are are usually more like Rose, Rosita from um, Walking Dead, you know, the Sofia Vergara stereotype type of thing. And, um, you know, I mean, he's certainly the only uh, Latino nerd on TV. Well, I mean, the, I have to give credit there. There's The diversity on The Flash is actually pretty special and you know pretty exemplary to the point where i you know i'm always kind of excited to see who they have on and who plays this role and who plays that especially with the bad guys and yeah they, they've done a pretty good job in terms of spice you know spicing it up or getting a mixed cast in there i think um some of the characters that they're playing are a little wooden but that's in because just because they're of an ethnicity, although with Cisco, they did go into his background a little bit. They showed his family. So it wasn't like, you know, he's just 
happens to be Hispanic. You know, they do kind of uh, go into the backstories and stuff like that. So, no, I mean, Flash all around is good. This episode in particular, little congested, like I said, for me. Well, I think Snart is really dope. That that guy is is actually, like, he's really good. I thought the first season of Prison Break, the guy who plays Captain Cold, had starred in that. I thought he was really good. Um, for viewers who might not know, he's actually biracial, that actor. He is. Um, and he's also and, out of the closet, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and so, he's a screenwriter and director. So That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I like well, the way he plays the role. He plays the role. I really like, exactly. That, he that's, plays I the role, really like the way he yeah. plays the role. And um, I actually like his sister, who uh, I had seen on Mad Men. She was married to Roger Sterling for a couple of seasons on, on Mad Men. But uh, I like the, the, the woman who plays his sister. I don't know. Does she have a, she has, she has a code name, right? Uh, you know, well, what did what did Cisco call her? Uh, he, he named her. He definitely named yeah, her. Yeah, evil woman who spoke to me at the bar. Or something. I forget what he called her. Yeah, no, but I feel like someone said a name that I recognized as being from the Flash Rose Gallery. Oh, okay. So, um, whether it was her or him or even someone else, um, and I don't remember why he uh, Heatwave, who's the other brother who actually also was on Prison Break, um. Dominic Purcell. I don't. I don't know why he wasn't there, but um, I really like the stuff with Snart and his sister, and the relationship with, uh, you know, with the Flash, and he is building this Rogues Gallery. I just want to say, someone brought up on Twitter, and Ben and I talked about it, but but it really is true. Like there is something troubling about the fact that they just throw these people in a cell. You know that there is no trial. There is no. You know, we just had this trial in in America of, you know, the Sarnev guy who, you know, it's pretty clear he did do it. And yet still, um, I think 80 percent of the people in Boston were against him getting the death penalty um, and that, you know, he got it anyway. But that's with a trial. And, and there is something unsettling that on Arrow, he just throws them in, you know, in jail on an island and on Flash, you know, they just put them in this, you know, a cell in a basement in this high security science building. But it's because they're metahumans and they can't. It's like it's like Magneto. You can't just put them in any jail. You can't. Right. But this, Magne- this, you're not going to you know, give Magneto a trial. Right. And they are Star Labs. And it is true. I think in the comics, they end up putting these people in Star Labs. But there is something like, you know, this is America and you do deserve a trial. For metahumans? Yada, yada, yada. Well, you know, especially when it comes out that all these people were turned into this, you know, they got their powers by accident. You know, all the people on The Flash got their powers from when, uh, you know, the the thing, the particle accelerator exploded, which Wells, you know, precipitated. Right. So, uh, but at the same time, these guys had a choice. They could use it for good or for evil. It's true. It's true. And what's his name? Wizard, who's the weather wizard or whatever that dude? Yes, I mean, yeah, no, then that dude, that dude actually was Spartacus, the second Spartacus, right? But he's constantly causing problems. So it's no, it's true. You can't it's just true. put him in a jail cell because he'll get lightning to blow up the jail cell. You got to put him in something stronger, anyway. And who's gonna put him on trial if you bring him into a a, a, a courtroom? He's gonna blow up the courtroom. No, I'm just saying it, it's it's an issue that someone brought up on Twitter, and and we definitely discussed it, and it, it is true. I mean, none of the things that you're saying are are untrue, and 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 well, but it it does present a legal and moral problem in that we're a country. <laughs> 
country of laws what? and like, yada yada yada. <laughs> what are you talking about? Laws of human beings, not metahumans. I know I'm sounding right. like the senator in, in X Men who wants you to do, do you do uh, or, or or you sound like Peter Dinklage. Uh, right, but uh, right, exactly. I'm gonna create the new sentinels and for the right. 21st century. Uh, I'm not trying to hunt down metahumans, but if look, there's there's a way to deal with criminals. Criminals who are superhuman. Or metahuman, or what do they call them? Mutants, right? Right. It's like uh, you, you got to deal with them with a different way. You can't just bring these guys to to due process. Like, uh, first of all, uh, I can't believe you're comparing these guys to the the Boston. Bar. Well, no, no. I was just saying, like, the, my point was he got due process, and you know. You could say, I mean, the majority's voice was not heard when the majority of people in Boston didn't want him to get the death penalty, and the majority of people in America did, and he was tried in Boston and and did get it when you know, you know they 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 polled people and po- people felt like he you know, but whatever. Uh, that aside, I'm just saying he got due process or something you know close to due process. Um, right, but he can't control the weather either. No, right? he can't. He can't. Um, so there's that. So, all right. Well, we'll leave that uh, open for another for another night. But uh, yeah, Rogue Air, uh, play on Con Air, and um, I think that's it for this week. I just wanted to shout out um, Bessie and really uh, Queen Latifah's performance, um, which I think is definitely the best thing that I've seen her do. I think it was extraordinary. I think her performance was better than the movie. But that the movie was really good. Um, a lot of biopics. Bessie Smith is someone who's just much bigger than a two-hour movie. So they were able to basically hit a lot of the greatest hits of her, you know, of her life and career. You know, just sort of um, moments, at, you know, important relationships. Um, the movie's not not up to Bessie Smith standards, but. I think Queen Latifah's performance is. And if you, you know, if you liked, you know, all that stuff in Boardwalk Empire that dealt with, uh, you know, the black performing world and club world and stuff like this, you know, this was that, but but better. Um, you know, I thought it was not, it had a great, you know, great look, great budget. It was shot really well. Monique was really good as Ma Rainey. Um so yeah, very very recommended. It's on HBO, and um, that's uh, that that that's about it. We uh, normally talk about um, Orphan Black. Unfortunately, uh, this was a crazy weekend, and neither Kimson and I were uh, were caught up on uh, on the most recent episode. Uh, we will be whoever does a special delivery next week. We will be all caught up with Orphan Black, and uh, we will discuss this weekend's episode and next weekend's episode. Yep, and uh, peace to Mad Men. You guys did a great job over the years that I never watched. It's a show that right. I basically never ever watched. So, um, but you know, I guess it, it did change the culture of AMC. I have to thank Mad Men for funding. All the other shows on AMC that I did watch. So there you go. Right. So, yeah, there. I mean, there's something fitting uh, in terms of the zeitgeist now that, you know, this show that basically is just about, you know, white male privilege that that show is coming to an end. Um, it's a great show. But uh, 
I do think it had its place in time, and I'm not a big fan of the way they rolled out the last season, dragging it out over two years. <laughs> That's called contract renegotiation. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's called keeping, you know, the the brand in the public's imagination for an extra year. And, um, you know, it's it's akin to making three Hobbit movies out of one book. You know, it's, it's a little too much. But um, that said, uh, Mad Men in general was, uh, you know, I mean, it was an important show. It was a good show, and uh, it ended tonight. Well, thank you, Chico. That's that's a great way to wrap it up. Yeah, so that's it. All right, so that's uh, it for this weekend of TV. Um, peace out, and don't forget to uh, check out a new regular episode of Fan Bros this week. <laughs>